Well, last Sunday we uh, we had Encounter Sunday, and I really felt the Holy Spirit uh, was all over the lines of um, the song that we were singing, which is the heartbeat of the Lord's Prayer. And we got to the verse uh, that sings, Your kingdom come quickly, your will be done the same on earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven come to earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven come. I just wanted to simply share with you today message which you'll see I've titled, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. You know the opening couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer. Let's pop those up. Let's pray them out together today if we can. Thanks, AD. Pray like, like this, Jesus, teaching his disciples. Remember, they've come to him. They've heard him pray. They, 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 they've heard prayer up to 18 set times a day. Jewish people would pray. They're familiar with prayer, but they've never heard of someone pray like Jesus. They've never heard someone connect with the Father like this. And they're putting two and two together and seeing the way he's connecting with the Father is the fruit of all that's happening in his life and, and ministry. And they're like, you've got to teach us how to pray like that. And so Jesus says to them, pray then like this. Come on, our Father in heaven. Can't hear you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now more often than not, when we think about heaven, uh, our mind will go to the thought of it being the ultimate destination for all those who love Jesus. And that's absolutely true. And so kind of we live through life for this kind of thought that it's all about as Christians getting from earth to heaven. And so earth kind of almost becomes this big kind of waiting lounge. Uh, you know, it almost becomes this kind of, life becomes a bit like an airport, we're in a departure lounge, we're not sure, you know, at some point every one of us will depart from this earth, we don't know where it is, but heaven's the destination, and so we're, we're waiting for that moment, our mandate as believers is to get as many people as possible checked in and ready, it's the great commission, departure day is coming, the message is don't miss it, trust in Jesus, make sure you're going to heaven, absolutely, amen. Now, a few weeks ago, me and Claire had a COVID-delayed trip to Prague. It was meant to happen for her 40th birthday, and, uh, and so it was a 40 plus two. I've just realized I've just totally blurted out your age. There you go. <laughs> Never mind. So uh, anyway, and for those of you who are wondering, yes, I do. Uh, I am married to an older woman. Okay, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> by three months. By three months. Um, no, I will stop now. But suffice to say, she done well. Anyway, moving on. Um, we, were, we were heading out to Prague on our own for a few days. And uh, I, I normally, those of you who know me, I like to be places in good time. Uh, I'm very much one of those people that if you're on time, you're late. Okay? So uh, I'm, like, I'm kind of like, we get there in good time. My, my family will tell you I'm, 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 I'm that guy. Come on, we need to be there. We need to be there in good time. We need to be I hate being late. I just, I just hate it. Uh, but on this time, unusually for me, I really miscalculated things in terms of how much time we had. There was something that I wanted to get, and I got distracted and couldn't find it in a couple of supermarkets and was stopping off along the way. Then I went a different way on the advice of my sat-nav, um, which was not the planned way, but it told me I could save a bit of time if I went this way. But the trouble was, just as I went that way and got myself into the middle of hitching because we were flying out of loot, and there was an accident, and they closed the road where I was meant to go, which pushed us up and on a long delay, nose to tail, uh, all around hitching. We literally got to Luton. Then I uh, drove into the wrong car park, um, out of the wrong car park, into the right car park, uh, just as we got into the right car park, we watched the departure bus 
just leaving as we parked the car. I've abandoned the car. Literally, it was like it looked it looked like I was legging it from the police because it was like abandoned. We were out, rucksacks on the back, we were running. Um, now, so much so that actually, um, when we got back to the car, this is a little aside, when we got back to the car, we, I said, I can't, all my window had been taped up and everything. So I thought someone's broken into my car. I was devastated. And I was saying to Claire, I said, but they've cleaned all the glass up. It's so kind of them. And I've gone to, I've gone to the button. I pressed, someone's broken into my car. I was in a bad mood at this point in time. He said, oh, sir. He said, we do get a lot of people that when they pull in in a hurry, don't put their windows up. So we go around and tape their window up. So this is really unlike me. This is not who I am, right? And so I've kind of, we've got out, we've got on the bus, we've got the bus to the airport, we've got off the bus, it's 12.15 p.m. Our departure gate shuts at 12.30 p.m. As I've walked through, there's a sign that says, gate whatever it is, I don't know, C3 or whatever it was, you know, 15 minutes. Hang on a minute, 12.15, 15. So I was just turned to Claire and I've just gone, run, like this. Now, we've got our rucksacks on, and we are running through the airport to the gate. Now, when we got to the gate, they said, uh, just as we got, we hit the queue, looking very red and very flustered. And then they said, we're sorry to report, there'll be a, flight, there'll be a delay to your flight. We're currently waiting because we have no crew. Now, <laughs> but the point was right. The feeling inside of me compared to when I've checked in in good time, stress absence of peace, that kind of uncertainty of am I going to catch the flight, the anxiety levels and stress levels are soaring, the big absence of peace is there, that when I'm checked in in good time, I never ever have that. And so we tell people, don't live life like that, don't miss the flight as it were, don't live a life that says, well I'll do all this other stuff, I'll put my trust in Jesus or I'll live for him later, I'll make that move at a later point, don't do what I've done, get distracted by stuff, go a different day, go a different way, you'll never know what will happen along the way, there's no peace in that, there are no guarantees actually that you'll make it, don't be trying to scramble into heaven at the last minute, we want to say get checked in, so when departure times comes and none of us know when it is, you're ready. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 in the New Living Translation says this, The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is this focus of earth to heaven right? 100%. Is that message right? Yes. We do want to see people saved. We do want to see people certain of eternal life. But I just wonder if sometimes we think so much of heaven in terms of what's to come then, and it being the end of the story, and that being the nature of our message, that we're missing something here and now in the waiting. And that's that Jesus isn't just trying to get you from earth to heaven. He wants to bring heaven to earth. That's the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. Bill Johnson says all of heaven is back in that prayer. God has plans for this place and for, his people's, and for people's lives. Our assignment, listen to this, our assignment is to bring the reality of his world into this one. To bring heaven. And as we journey through the Bible, and we're going to do that like in a super brief way, like, I mean, a skimming overview just to try and show us a little bit of what I'm talking about today. I've loved studying for this message, actually. But as you study through the Bible, what you see is this. The reality of heaven 
touching earth was always God's plan. In the very first verse of the Bible, in Genesis 1, chapter 1, God creates, quote, the heavens and the earth. Now, when heaven appears in the Bible, and bear with me if you know this, but some people may not, so it's important. But when heaven appears in the Bible, it's, it's being spoken of in one of three ways. There are technically what you would call three heavens okay the first heaven is simply as in the heavens as in the skies so you'll read about that in the bible the context of heaven is referring to literally the skies then there's the heavens as in beyond that the second heavens was in the space the sun the moon and the stars so when i look to the heavens so there's birds that you know god creates the birds that fly in the heavens in the sky but then when i look to the heavens when i look to the stars that's another form. And then there's the third heaven. And then the third heaven is the home of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul talks about I knew a man once who was caught up into the third heaven. It's the very place. It's the place where God is. Well, God is everywhere, I know. But it's the very kind of what I'm helping us to understand is that third heaven is where God rules and God reigns over the universe with his angels. It's where we'll be with him forever. Now, all three are in Scripture. But one thing is clear from the outset in Genesis 1.1, there are two distinct realms. There is heaven and there is earth. But despite them being distinct, the Bible begins to unfold an intriguing... Oh, no, that's way ahead of me. Sorry, AD, not yet, please, mate. Um, sorry, I'll give you a shout when I want that, buddy. Thank you. What um, happens is, is there's a, a, an intriguing relationship between the two. And we begin to see, uh, despite them being distinct realms... God never intended for them to be independent realms, entirely separate realms. And that's what we begin to think of now, buddy. Thank you. That's so good. That's my fault. I should have told you when I wanted it. So next slide. Thank you, AD. And uh, so here we go. We, we kind of maybe think of it along these lines. Okay, heaven and there's earth. But when we look at the Garden of Eden, we see an access point between heaven and earth. I want to talk a bit about access points and gates and within the Garden of Eden, what we find is two realms occupy one space. They seem to coexist. Two realms are linked together in one place. Next screen for me, please, AD. And so we've got heaven and earth kind of overlapping. And in this space, Adam and Eve enjoy God's heavenly presence. Genesis 3 talks about how in the cool of the day, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. In Eden, heaven and earth, there was a space where two realms would overlap. There was an access point. There was a, a gate, if you like. And God is dwelling both in heaven and on earth with his people. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve can access heaven. The Hebrew term for the word heaven or paradise is Gan Eden. It means Garden of Eden. And so you could literally say that Eden was a little bit of heaven on earth. A space intended to reflect heaven. That's why pre-fall, we know there's no sin there. We know there's no sickness there, no sadness, no needs. The very presence of God is right there. And God's intention for Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28 says God blessed them. Uh, next screen for me, please, AD. There we go. Okay, I'll come on to this. God's intention for Adam and Eve is to expand. The touch of heaven upon the earth. So Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing 
that moves on earth. And what we see is God designing something to mirror heavenly realities. And so we begin to learn from the early outset that these two realms, heaven and earth, actually in the Bible narrative are inextricably linked. God wanted heaven to touch earth. To invade earth. But Adam and Eve sin. The fall happens. They eat the apple of the tree, from the tree of knowledge and, you know, and death comes in. And Genesis 3 says, after that point, he, God, drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Access point closed. The gate closes. That little space where two realms overlapped and coexisted. God in heaven and God on earth. Adam and Eve are now finding themselves outside of that. They can no longer access heavenly realms like before. And we see in the Bible everyone begins to move east. Interestingly, increasingly east. We see them move into places like places called like the land of Nod. That's not just where people go when I'm preaching, but that kind of thing. The land they're moving east. And there's this ever widening gap between God and man and heaven and earth that's opening up. But as you journey through the Old Testament, there are moments. There are moments when God opens an access point. There are moments when God opens a gate. And briefly, heaven and earth open and there's an overlap. God doesn't give up on what he always wanted to be the case. And so access points and gateways begin to briefly open between heaven and earth in certain places. Now as Pastor Basil would say, are you tracking with me? You following me this morning? Where are we going? So Genesis chapter 28, Jacob, he's on his way to a place called Haran. It's dark. He settles down to sleep. The stone for a pillow. You've got to be tired if you can sleep on a stone for a pillow. He lays his head down, finds a spot to lay down and get some sleep. And then it says, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder or a flight of steps set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Direct movement between heaven and earth. The two. Heaven is touching earth. And behold, the Lord stood above it. The Lord's at the summit of it. And says, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, "What? surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Ascending and descending, two places come together in one space. 
Jacob sees into heaven, sees the Lord at the summit, at the top of this ladder or stairway. And God begins to show him that through his granddad, Abraham's seed, he is going to restore a gate into the heavenly realm. We'll come back to that later on. Next example, Exodus 24 verse 9 to 11. Moses and 73 other people are up Mount Sinai, on the top of Mount Sinai. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very clear, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Like the summit, the, the top of Mount Sinai is almost like this image of it being like the floor of heaven. And they see him and they see God and they behold him and they eat and they drink. And God opens this established, opens up and uh, sorry, reestablishes a brief connection in that moment there between heaven and earth. Last one, Exodus 25. You'll read this in verse 40, Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 9. God asks Moses to build a tabernacle. A portable tent to host his presence on earth. It would move with Moses and the people wherever they went. Moses would meet God there. At the heart of it would be a space called the Holy of Holies where you'll know and you've heard before only high priests could go and then only once a year. They would go into a space where the very presence and glory of God would come. The word tabernacle is a Hebrew translation of the word dwelling place. God was dwelling on earth in that space, heaven and earth. It was known also as the tent of meeting, a space where heaven and earth would meet. And Exodus 25 and Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 tell us that God showed Moses, quote, the pattern for building this place, for making this place. How to not just make it, but to how to furnish it. And he expressly tells Moses, this is the quote now straight from the Bible, make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Moses, I want a space on earth that's going to reflect heavenly realities. There's a sanctuary in heaven. I'm going to allow you to see and understand what it looks like, and then I want you to build this space on earth. To reflect that earth reflecting heaven. So Moses begins to build a copy and a shadow, we're told, of heavenly things. This blueprint. A space designed to mirror on earth the reality of heaven. God is dwelling. But there's a big problem with all three of these examples. And that is that every access point and every gate that opens up is not open to the vast majority of God's people. In fact, it's just a select few. Jacob's the only one who's at the gate of heaven. Moses and just 73 others are at the top of the mountain. Only the high priest, once a year, has access to the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people's sins, for his own sin and for the people's sins, to make sacrifice. So post-Eden, heaven is touching earth in a kind of limited way. Certain people, certain times, 
experience and see it. There's the restricted access. Sin has done this. Messed it all up. Sin has restricted access and the experience of heaven touching earth. This is now a far cry from what God intended in the Garden of Eden 24-7. Something more is needed to get back to what God has always wanted. His original plan and intention. Is it possible there can be a union of heaven and earth? Enter Jesus. Ephesians 4.19 tells us the one who is descended from the heights of heaven. The king of heaven is born. Descends from heaven to earth to be born of a woman. Galatians 4 verse 4. Jesus both fully God and fully man. And in him we see heaven and earth coming together. No longer in a place in a person two realms come together as the bible tells us in john 1 verse 14 the word which is christ became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father in heaven full of grace and truth the amplified says the word christ became flesh human incarnate and here's that word look and tabernacled Fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us, and we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. And that's why when Nathaniel one day has an encounter with Jesus, Jesus speaks these words to him in John chapter 1. And he says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel, I am Jacob's ladder. Heaven and earth meet. No longer in a place, but in a person. And that person is me. And Jesus becomes the ladder between heaven and earth that Jacob has dreamed of. The heavenly king is now on earth bringing his rule and reign. So when Jesus launches out into ministry, the very first message that he preaches is what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word at hand means it's close, it's here, it's now. In other places, you'll see him say things like, it's within your grasp. In other words, right here on earth now, you can reach out and touch something of heaven in me. The kingdom of heaven has come because the king has come. Every king brings his kingdom with him, right? Right? Right. It's here, it's now, it's close, it's within your grasp. And the kingdom, we know, is made up of two words. The word king and domain, or prefix dom. It's, it's, it's simply the king's domain. It's the domain of the king. It's where a king rules and reigns. Where a king has power and influence. When a king comes in, he brings his kingdom with him. Now, if the kingdom is where the king is, that means wherever Jesus is, there's access to heaven. Are you following me this morning? Wherever Jesus is, there's a gate. There's access to heaven. 
Now let me tell you, first of all, that means this. As a church, we're a community where Jesus reigns. He is king in this place. His kingdom is here. So whenever we gather, whether small or big, we create an access point between heaven and earth. Earth and heaven. Matthew 18, verse 20, that's why Jesus says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The king is here. This is an access point. This is a gate when we can see the realities of heaven touching earth. So does that mean that gathering matters? You bet it matters because when you show up, you help create a space where heaven can meet earth. Absolutely. And we need to realize again, church, what's open to us and accessible to us in and through Christ. Jesus is in the house. And if Jesus is in the house, that means that God intends for this place to be an outpost of heaven on earth. Please say amen to that, church. Wow, I mean, I got excited studying this this week. This is an outpost of heaven on earth. A space where two realms can meet. A place where heaven touches earth. A place where the world clutches a glimpse of the kingdom, which Romans 14, 17 tells us, is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This house should be filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Because the king is here, and with the king comes the kingdom. So not only is he king in our gathering, in our community. Not only is this an outpost of heaven on earth, but if you love him and you live for him, he's the king of your heart. And if he's the king of your heart and he's on the throne of your heart and not something else or someone else that you love or prize above him, then his kingdom has come in you. Let me fire a few things from Scripture at you. Philippians 3 and Hebrews 12 tells us that we are registered as citizens of heaven. We're the people of heaven living on earth. Our identity is a heavenly one. We represent a culture and the ways of a kingdom to which we belong. Matthew 5.16 tells us our, glo- our lives glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 6.20, we lay up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. Matthew 16.17, revelation comes to us from our Father in heaven. Matthew 18.18, 18, we loose, we release heaven on earth. Matthew 6 verse 9, we pray to our Father in heaven. Matthew 6 verse 9 to 10, we pray for his will to be done and his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That means if Jesus is on the throne of your heart, he's the king of your heart, he's reigning in your life, that means not just inside these doors, but outside of these doors, your life is an outpost of heaven on earth. That blows my mind. Because wherever you are, Jesus is. He's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's living in you. So wherever you are tomorrow morning, wherever you place your feet on that job, or wherever you go to that school, or wherever you connect with that friend, Jesus is right there. He's in you. He's living in you. And that means this. There is a space, there is a place where two realms can meet, where heaven can touch earth. Because you carry the king, and you carry the kingdom. And that means you can begin to see stuff happen. So in the garden, the connection's broken, but in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection at the cross, by His blood, they are restored. 
You know, I've shared this illustration before, but it's worth saying again just in case you've not heard it or I like it, it's good. But I was listening to a talk by a, a Nigerian man, and he was talking about the impact of kingdoms. He was speaking about his own country, Nigeria, and he was using that as an example. How until 1960, it was colonial Nigeria, a colony, a territory under the rule of the British Empire and kingdom. And he said thousands of miles away, yet people were living under the power, the rule, and the influence of a British king and queen. He was talking about how the impact and influence of the British kingdom on his country and how it was felt. So first of all, he joked about how it was 40 degrees temperature, yet they started to drink tea four times a day and wear suits. And he said, who does that in 40 degrees? He spoke about how they drove on the right side of the road. They spoke English. They modeled schools and civil and political systems on British ones. In many ways, he said, Nigeria became like Britain. See, whenever a king takes over and his kingdom comes, the place it comes to reflects the king and the kingdom. Their influence, power, rule, and reign begins to shape everything. Language, lifestyle, law, values, culture is shaped and defined by the king and the kingdom. And Jesus says, pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because the king and the kingdom is in this church, in our gatherings, and in you, there is the power to see this. Christ's influence, power, rule, and reign, shaping language, lifestyles, value, and culture around us. Breaking the rule, the power, the dominion of sin and fear and depression and hopelessness and despair and sickness because all authority has been given to Jesus. He is king. So when the kingdom of heaven touches earth, the kingdom of God dethrones all those other things because they do not reflect or mirror heaven. The king and his kingdom is able to remove them from power. The message is those things don't have to dominate in our life or other people's lives. Praying the Lord's Prayer is seeing heaven changing earth. Band, I wonder if you'd just come back for me, please. Because finally, there is a day coming when heaven and earth will come together in a new and beautiful way forevermore. Just turn to the person next to you and say, the king is coming back. The king is coming back and his kingdom will be fully established. Revelation 21 verse 1 to 5 and also verse 22 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored herself for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And verse 22 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Wow! God's heavenly presence. There's a day coming when His heavenly presence is no longer going to be restricted to an access point, the top of a mountain, an inner room of a tabernacle, a church, or a person. Because God's purpose for creation has finally come. Heaven has come to earth. And all creation has become the dwelling place of God. Wow. Why don't we stand to our feet together? I'd love for us just to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let heaven come on earth as it is in heaven.